Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. As a record producer, film composer, DJ and judge on Deutschland sucht den Superstar, Germany's version of Pop Idol, Mustafa Gundogdu, better known as Moose T, has continued to ride the wave since the 90s, when his written and produced tracks, Horny 98 and Sex Bomb with Tom Jones, achieved worldwide success. His songs are infused with house and an element of fun, but when you talk to him, you realise there is much more to the man. He's affable, thoughtful and intelligent. And in this, the first episode of a wide-ranging two-part interview, I talk to Musti about his early life, his Turkish heritage and his route into music. So Musti, this is uh, an absolute pleasure because, um, well, our paths have sort of crossed in life, you could say, because I'm a British person who has become um, a German and lived here uh, many, many years and also involved in the music scene, but not as a musician, but as someone who has reported on it, particularly in, in my past. And of course, uh, you have popped up on my radar over the years many, many times because of um, your music. But I want to start uh, by talking about the fact that you have Turkish her- heritage, but you were born in Germany, so you are German, and you were born in Hagen and then moved to Hanover, and I just wondered what your early years um, were like and what sort of music your parents listened to and when you started diverging from their musical tastes. Wow. First of all, pleasure, pleasure to do this. And I love your T-shirt, so all good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, you rightly said I was born in Hagen. My dad um, was a doctor 
and he basically came from from Turkey. He studied in Istanbul, and his professor was German. Funny enough, so he kind of pointed out to him at one point to to you know to get a job in Germany. So you know that's why he was then. I was born in Hagen while he was practicing there. And then, you know, he moved around like a couple of spots and then finally, you know, uh, settled down in Hanover. I think I was about probably five-ish or six-ish when we came here. And um, yeah, obviously, you know, my, my, my parents being Turkish, you know, my dad listened to Turkish music at home, which at that time I didn't really dig, to be honest, because, you know, whatever your parents listen to, you kind of like go, ooh, you know, it's not really cool. My mom, funny enough, she listened to Tom Jones all the time, which I didn't dig either at that time, you know what I mean? Because it was kind of like, oh, you know, old people's music and whatever. And obviously, you know, as as you might know, I did some work for Tom later and obviously love him and appreciate his talent and everything. But yeah, that was basically my upbringing. So it was kind of like very, you can call it multicultural. But that kind of triggered something in me, you know. So because of that, I was probably really open to all sorts of music. And somehow, you know, my early music um, uh, love was, was at the very beginning was rock, heavy metal. I used to have very long hair and uh, probably one of the biggest ACDC fans on the, on the planet, you know, which is really great. And if I might mention so, you know, because of pandemic and because of, uh, us being in Hanover, the Scorpions were just in my studio for one and a half years doing their album. And obviously I love them, we're friends, but for me it's even greater that their new drummer is Mickey D, you know, who's basically a, a Motorhead's, or who, who used to be a Motorhead's drummer. So that's, you know, the kind of like, uh, uh, um, you know, I love that, being a hard rock fan. Um, so I did that, you know, and I I don't know which station I was listening to. It might have been like John Peel or something, or even like German radio. But at one point, you know, when I heard Donna Summer's I Feel Love, it kind of triggered something in me. So, you know, that opened another door for me. And I was like, oh, what is that? It's really strange, you know, no live drums, but it's really erotic and funky and groovy. So, and that's probably like early teenager, 13, 14 years old. So... Yeah, basically, I did the whole like journey from being like, you know, from the Turkish stuff to the Rocky stuff, a little James Brown in between to kind of electronic dance music. What did your parents install in you? What sort of uh, morality or perspective on life? What did they what did they give you looking back when you when you look back at it now that, that has been useful to you in your life? Yeah, that's a very beautiful question. I mean, obviously, my parents being immigrants and always very respectful people. Um, they said like, look, you know, we, we're here in Germany, so, you know, we're going to do the best we can. We're going to, for ourselves and our, our children. So first of all, this is, it meant to give us all a beautiful possibility of like a great school, school education, you know, which, which me and my siblings, you know, we all basically experience, which is great for us. But always, as I said, you know, very respectful towards people, hardworking, my dad, said always you know it was pretty intimidating but he said like look if you're not a if you're not a study person basically you nobody you know which basically put a lot of pressure on all of us and i studied for a bit but then obviously i i went uh, the music route but um, you know he's he, they were very much about like being respectful manners um um 
open-minded and funny enough they being muslims you know they never kind of like imposed that on us they said like look if you guys you know i think i think they tried to send me to a turkish school after going to the Tur german school so I, I you know they wanted me to do two schoolings a day basically which at one point i said look i, I can't do it i don't want to do it and they were okay with it so it was never like pressure and stuff and i'm really thankful thankful for that but basically um it's really strange because I never felt like it, but sometimes people really go like, oh man, you know, you're really well-mannered. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and that's basically, I got that from my from my parents, to be honest. Was there ever a feeling of other when you were in the school that you, you were not exactly, so to speak, from the same background as the other people there yeah. and that you were treated in any way as other? Was, that, was there any feeling of that? Um, Steve, I have no memory of that, to be honest, you know, and and... And probably it was me just being naive or something, but I really never felt like any other people. And kind of when I grew up, I mean, I'm, I was born 66. So at the very beginning, I would say there were not so many Turkish people in Germany, probably even more Italians or somebody else, but, but it was always kind of cool. And the very first time, and that's, you know, again, me probably, you know, like shoving, shoving stuff to the side, not, not wanting to think about, but the very first time I felt who, who, who or what am I actually was um, 1998, I was uh, almost 32 years old and I was being nominated for a Grammy. And the German press, they were kind of like, oh, one of us is nominated. And the Turkish press wrote as well, oh, one of us is nominated. And then the first time I was like, oh, wow, okay, all right, the Turks, what, what are you, who are you? You know, I, I really felt like sitting between two chairs and that's the first time I really kind of started thinking about, okay, what are you? And I actually have two hearts in my chest and all that stuff. So, you know, the, the usual. What did that do to you though? Did it, did it change your perspective on your, on your life? Did it make you think any differently or feel any differently? It made me more conscious for sure. You know, I, th I think it didn't change stuff per se, but it, it really made me conscious on where I come from and that it's really good that I have these kind of like two cultures in me that is really what what actually makes me and probably even even describes my music the best because you know whatever I do it always has has this special you know ingredient I, I can't really describe it myself but I you know I, I think it's because of you know my my several cultures uh, cultures in, in, inputs in me you know that I have have this certain style you know of music that I do so it it but but it kind of the first time it kind of it was a first step of kind of like being even more um you know towards adolescence you know what i mean kind of like going going the, the way kind of like thinking all right you know probably understanding life better and and understanding yourself better yeah i think it's interesting because i'm a writer today and i look back and find that my drive came from my search for sexuality which is a completely different thing obviously but in in your terms, it's also, I just wondered whether there was something within you that has given you that drive throughout your life that maybe in retrospect, you can say, okay, maybe it was identity, maybe it was the fact that I was brought up in a Turkish household in Germany. Do, can you identify where your drivers come from? Because you are definitely a driven person. Right, but that's a very interesting thing that you said that your search of sexuality, because obviously, um, I really can say that I had a very safe and, and solid upbringing. That said, it's obviously, you know, 
being in a Turkish household, we don't, I mean, I, I have, a, my son is like 17 years old and we're, we're like mates, you know, we speak about stuff and I didn't have that with my parents. You know, it wasn't like, a, you know, I, I, I couldn't speak about, you know, sexual experiences, about any experience. It was basically with my parents, you know, I respected them. I think it was a loving relationship, but it wasn't like so, um, so there was something, you know, that I was always holding back somehow. And maybe that's probably, probably one reason why I actually, it, it was kind of even against all odds because my dad is really strange because he's, he supported me at first learning an instrument and, you know, but obviously he said like, look, this is great. This is, you know, it's going to look good on the outside when my, when my, when my son plays piano or whatever. Um, but you know, when I turned around and said, like, uh, uh, look, that I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm, I'm going to start, uh, 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 stop studying, uh, studying and I'm going to be, uh, become a musician. He com completely lost it. You know, he was like, wow. You know, so it kind of really, and for me, it was a big step, you know, to do that with my dad, basically. So something there was, as you said, there, there was a drive and a need of, of, of do, to do my thing. And I didn't even know if it's going to be successful or not. You know, I mean, if it's going to be, you know, I just felt it and I did it. And, and this drive, I don't know what it was. If, if, if it's, if it's a natural drive, when you have like, when you have like a um, couple, a couple of uh, cultures to kind of nurture from, or if it's, if it's a lack of something where, which, which, you know, kind of gives you this, power to say, okay, you know, I'm lacking something on this side. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to be more forceful on that side. I don't know. I mean, obviously he had some idea of what he wanted um, you to be in society in general. Um, exactly. And music must have represented something other for him. What do you think it represented? What was his fear of you being as a, you know, I mean, a at musician. that time, to be, yeah, I mean, my, my dad was a very educated man. And as I said before, you know, he said, like, if, if, if you're not, if, if, if you're not a studied person, acad academic, you're worth nothing, basically. So a musician was that you, were, you weren't worth anything, you know, he was probably envisioning long hair, you know, which I was at the time long hair, and, uh, you know, basically smoking spliffs in like recording rooms or whatever, that was probably his his, you know, cliche vision of, of musicians. And the funny thing is, I was mentioning my Grammy nomination uh, uh, um, uh, a while ago. And um, when I was nominated, our mayor sent him a, a, a letter, like congratulating him, not me, but him. And, and that was, I mean, I was 32. And he was basically having that letter in front of me, you know, tears running from his eyes. And he was like, my son, I did not know what you were doing. And then basically this official kind of like, go ahead that, you know, I actually made something out of my life that kind of like gave him peace. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers with me, Steve Blame. I think you were 25 before you actually committed yourself uh, to a career in music, which is relatively late uh, for, a, for a lot of people. Um, do, what do you feel that you may have missed out on by actually starting late? And what do you feel you may have gained by actually being a little older? Mm -hmm. Very good question. Um, first of all, I didn't start as a study medicine. I wanted to, but 
in, in Hanover, you can only study in the wintertime. And I kind of, I broke my knee playing baseball. I, you know, I was, I was um, doing baseball by, at the time. So I was fit again in summer. And my dad said, look, you can't wait around another half a year. So study something else. And then you switch to medicine later. So I started economics, which was great. But in the, you know, obviously I was doing music uh, um, in the meantime. And um, as you rightly say, you know, like, be because, you know, I still, at that time I was studying, I never, I said, look, look, I'm going to study and music is going to be my love and my hobby or something. But then at one point it was so crystal clear that I have to stop everything else and which was pretty late, you know, which, which probably describes the insecurity that I had, you know, uh, uh, deciding on what to do. You know, I mean, probably it's even more, I don't know if it's better today because you have so many possibilities today that we probably didn't have back in the day. But, um, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's, I think, one good thing because I started so late. I was a super hard worker. Like super hard. So it made me work even more because I knew, you know, I have to work. You know, this is going to be my... My, 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 my real job now. And, and there's this one anecdote I have to tell you because I, got, I did this mix for Michael Jackson once. And uh, back in the day, you know, uh, back in the day, no internet, no nothing. So people were actually calling and management and whatever. So I did the mix and then it got finished. And then I actually received a call from the record company. They put me through to the management. And then Michael Jackson was on the other line saying like, oh, thank you so much for your mix. And I want to invite, and that was, I think, 96 I want to invite you to a concert in London. And I was like, oh, thank you, Mr. Jackson, but I have to work. Seriously, <laughs> seriously no, no joke, Steve. And that's probably describes me. I was really like this. That's probably what my dad did to me or gave me in my, you know, he said like, you, you have to work. Probably nowadays I, I would be like, all right, Mike, I'm on the, on the next plane. But that's one thing. I'm not sure if it's good or bad. Probably it's a good thing, you know, if, you, if you're a hard worker. And what I've m missed out... Um, Maybe it's only like a timing thing that I probably probably would have saved like a couple of years or probably would have been five years uh, earlier or five years yeah like ahead you know of of what I am now. I mean that track was Ghost, wasn't it? But I just want to exactly. talk about Errol Reynolds because he has been a key person in yes. in your life. Um, when you met him, what connected you at that point? Yeah. Um, Errol, I mean, we know each other now for 36, 37 years. And he basically, he, 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 he was originally from Birmingham. 
England and he came over to Germany to basically, you know, which I totally respect. I, I mean, I'm still living in Hanover in, my, in the town I grew up, you know, so and he basically, you know, like went to another country to kind of like, you know, do something else for his living. So he was a professional dancer, you know, he got a job in Hanover with his uh, brother, with his then girlfriend. And we met because a band kind of like hired me as a keyboard player and they hired Arrow, they wanted to try him out as a singer. So this we was met Hans Hahn, and this is Fresh and Fly, isn't it? This, uh, uh, no, it's, it's, even, it's, it's before even, that. Uh, even ah. before that. It was like a, like a different band, and they kind of hired us. So we, we, we got to know each other there, you know, fell in love, basically. And then we said, like, look, let's leave the band and do Fresh and Fly, our own band. And basically, we're working um, in, the, in the cellar of my dad, you know, like, like writing songs, uh, although we probably didn't know at the time that we actually were writing songs, you know, just like throwing ideas, it sounded great. And um, what I loved about Eric, because, you know, most of the songs we did, most of the big songs, or all the songs, we basically co-wrote together. And Errol had this certain drive at the time I met him. It was really, I mean, you know, again, you know, there's a big step, you know, to move to another country. You can't speak the language, you know, obviously, thanks God, a lot of people speak English in Germany. And uh, so he was basically, I mean, I was, I was probably, I would say the creative mind, but he was the, the drive behind what we were doing. And then a lot of things actually happened from this uh, friendship at first and then business relationship, you know, later. Yeah, so how did that develop it, from these early tracks to actually then um, setting up your own Peppermint Jam, setting up your own studios? How did that develop from yeah. one thing to the next? Well, I mean, again, we're in Hanover. We're not in Berlin or London or Paris or New York. So Hanover, is, it's, it, it had a good music scene, but it was very rock orientated. So we loving black music, dance music, you know, we had to kind of like create our own bubble. So we did the songs, you know, we, we kind of like started to sp spread out in the, in the local scene, you know, which wasn't that easy, but I was DJing at the time, Arrow was DJing. We met people um, in studios, you know, I had my own studio at first with another friend of mine, Ralf Drösemeyer, who's doing More Horizons. Um, then I reached out to Peppermint Park Studios, who were doing a lot of rock and fueling the slaughterhouse and all that stuff. And then we're basically like, look, I'm your guy for the groovy stuff. So, you know, we started to do that. I was becoming bigger and bigger in, uh, in, in, in remixing, basically, you know, which was a big, big thing, like beginning and mid 90s. Um, Errol actually, he got a job at SPV, which was a, a, um, a big record company, like in, in on big distribution as well in Europe, doing like a lot of like heavy metal and rock and whatever. So he got like a job as an A&R for like black stuff, black music, and all went from, went from there basically. And then, you know, we did, I did more and more remixes, starting doing productions on my own, you know, co-writing stuff. Um, and then obviously, you know, our writing was pretty pretty cool i would say we got our first publishing deal with rondor which was basically back in the day help albert and jerry moss from a m records so they signed us and stuff happened from there then then you know the, we started the label because there wasn't any outfit for us in germany you know we were like okay we're doing this really cool kind of almost like either london or, or um, us garage house music and 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 germany was very kind of elec uh, uh, no, not electronic, but Eurodance at the time. And we're like, you know, nobody wants our stuff. So, you know, let's release it ourselves. So we started building that with other partners. And um, yeah, and then obviously, you know, the first big records came along. The first brick record on the label was Keep Pushing. 
that I co-wrote and produced for, for Boris Lugos. And then not long after that, basically Horny came along. And then basically that changed a lot of, a lot of stuff for us, you know, in the positive, I would say. Before we get to, to Horny, there, there is this long development period, which you sort of, you know, you've made it sound like it was five minutes, but it was quite a few years. Exactly. <laughs> and, and well, I just, if you have the time, Steve, I'm happy to talk. No, no, because I'm really fascinated by these periods, because for me, when there is a long development period, you learn a lot. You learn yes. a huge amount about different areas of the, you know, the music business, not only the, the creative side. It's also, you know, over a long period, there's also development of technology, which changes music as well. And music changes on the outside while you're changing on the inside. So how difficult was it for you to actually um, get the respect? You said you oriented yourself to Britain and to US House and Garage. How difficult was it for you to get the respect of those different territories in your music coming from a country where you're developing original music in that country because it was Eurodance at that point. Mm. But very good question. And to be honest, I mean, it, it is still like that. I feel that it was never a problem to get respect outside of Germany. Because funny enough, you know, when the people, they saw my name, oh, Musti, oh, it's this guy from England, right? Or Musti, oh, it's this guy from the US, right? But they never thought that I would come from Germany. And um, it was really hard to kind of like build everything up in Germany, actually, because it's kind of like, I don't know if it was a cultural thing or, or a musical thing or that, that we actually made music, which was more catering, catering, uh, you know, the English and the US territory. But but they loved us from the very beginning. They were like, oh, wow, this is cool and this is new and this is great. But in Germany still, sometimes I have the feeling that you really have to explain yourself. And when I mean, I play a lot over in the UK. And the people, I sometimes think that the people know my music better than I do. You know, it's really like, it, it, it's, it's musically, they're so educated. And so it's so, so in their DNA. And, um, and as you rightly said, it sounded really fast, like how it all, you know, happened. But it basically from like sleeping on couches in studios, you know, driving to Hamburg and to Frankfurt to work in studios, make connections, whatever until we had the first our own record release and then you know like building a label you know and all that stuff it's a it's it's a big thing but 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 in terms of you know the, the outcome basically you know that that's what the people only see you know they they don't see the hard work and um yeah now thinking about it 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 really it it really makes me proud but as you said um or basically to conclude, it's like the outside, they always loved us. In Germany, it was always kind of like, yeah, it's cool what they do, but you know, hey, and 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 uh, I'm not being bitter, but for instance, something like Sex Bomb or Horny, you know, we have the Echoes, the, the music prize. And and these tracks, I mean, we, we, I performed at the Echoes with Tom, but it was never considered a German piece of music, funny enough which I still don't compute, you know, it, it's basically, it was done in Germany, it was written in Germany, it's, it's, it's a musical, it's, it's, it's a piece of German culture, basically, but it was never, you know, the people didn't put one and one together somehow. I mean, when I first came to Germany, one thing that really, probably the wrong word, well, but when, it really when, did, shocked, when did you come over? When did you um, come over? Well, I moved to Germany in 94, but I was always 94. coming because I'd because of MTV, I was flying backwards and forwards and I yeah. made lots of friends in Germany. So for me, it was an easy choice to 
to move here eventually. Um, but when I was here, to find this whole section of music called Schlager was a big yeah. shock to me. Because, um, and, and, and I respect the fact that if you make music, it is music and, and everyone has their own tastes and whatever. But for me, this was um, something that, that felt so different from the society that I grew up with, with, where we all loved pop music and we were all into pop music. And here, it seemed to have two sides to it. And that felt like it restricted the development of small pockets of, of uh, music in Germany. Um, do you think that is specific, you know, only in Germany? And why do you think there has been a resistance to new styles? Or well, there was at that period, a resistance to new styles. Um, very interesting because, um... At, I mean, I, I thought about these things a lot. And for me, at the beginning, I was all right, all right it's got to be like a, a language thing. Because obviously, the English, their pop music is maybe Schlager to them. I don't know. You know, if you listen to Tom Jones, is that Schlager to you? Or, <coughs> you know, and obviously, you know, if, if, if you look historically, you know, there's great German composers, you know, classical composers, you know, which you have coming up. And then you have, bam, you have the war, you know, Second World War you know, everything goes to shit. Um, but then something good happens to Germany, I think, be, uh, you know, um, having the English, the Americans, maybe even the French um, here and basically bringing their culture because that's how I grew up. You know, in Germany, we had the, the British and even, I don't know if you knew that, David, David Rodigan, he was born in Germany at the British Military Hospital. You know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's great. So all the culture, like the reggae, the soul, the English music, I basically soaked up from them. Then you had like Frankfurt or the south of Germany, where the Americans basically, you know, brought the R&B and, you know, so um, I think that was good for Germany. And, and even the Schlager, you know, it's, it's, I mean, you have people like Marianne Rosenberg, er gehört zu mir, basically putting German lyrics on a very wide kind of track. So it was always probably the German nature of kind of like taking something and making it their own. And um, but I still wouldn't condemn Schlager because if you listen to some stuff, you know, it's it has something to it, you know, which is fine. But obviously, and I'm not even sure if it's a German thing or if it's a human thing, that if something's successful, be it Barry White or whatever, people take it, copy it, make something own and, and then, you know, it has a life on its own. And, and Germany is very good at it. I'm not sure if it's a good thing, but, you know, if something's successful, they just jump on it and make it big and make it. You know, and and um, but in terms of identity, it's a tough one. I've just been to Italy, you know, to to do some work at at the San Remo Festival. They love their, their they love their artists. You know, French. They love their artists. You know, um, the English. Everybody loves their artists. In Germany, it's always a tough one. You know, it's always historically, as you said, Schlager, a bit difficult, cheesy. Now, all the pop music is, is a, very brainy to me, to be honest, it's not organic, you know, could be could be cooler. There's very great artists in Germany, but it's not how I feel that other other countries, you know, kind of like organically develop their, their own culture. And come back for part two when we talk about Horny 98 and Sex Bomb with his mum's favourite artist, Tom Jones. See you then. <laughs>
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.